Hi, I'm Karen Hartglass, and this is It's All About Food. I want to thank you for joining me today. I have a wonderful guest today, Victoria Moran. I've met her numerous times, and she's the author of a number of books, the most recent being Is this the most recent, Creating a Charmed Life? No, I don't think it's the most recent. But she has appeared on Oprah two times and NPR's All All Things Considered. And her works have been in USA Today, The Washington Post, The New York Times, The Oprah Magazine, many other magazines. And she's an authority on the Charmed Life phenomenon. And we're going to hear more about that. Victoria, are you with us? Hi. Hi, there you are. How are you today? I'm terrific. Thanks so much. Okay, thanks for joining me today. And <clears throat> I just, what I like to do when I talk to my guests is um, first get, get to know you a little bit and ask you how you got on the path that you're on today. Oh, it's a long and winding story, but it's absolutely as is it should be. I love to listen to other people's stories. I love watching biographies and reading biographies because it really does seem that we all have a purpose that we invariably find if, if we're conscious. So for me, I was very lucky as a little girl. My parents both worked, and it was before daycare, so they hired this lovely woman um, to live with us and, and take care of me. So she had been in a lot of spiritual study in her life, and she was actually the first person to tell me about vegetarians. Mm. She loved animals. She was not herself a vegetarian, but when I came home from school reciting the four food groups, she said to me, hmm, there are some people that never eat meat in their lives, and they do just fine. <laughs> and I had never heard of such a thing, and I can remember thinking at about seven or eight years old, oh, my goodness, there is so much to this world. Who could possibly comprehend it? So that was my first spiritual teacher and my first introduction to a lot of really lovely things that gave me um, Insights that I'm so grateful for to this day. If it were not for this woman, I wouldn't be doing the work that I do today. Right. So if you have anything to do with children, know that your influence is vast and far-reaching. I've also written since I was very young. Used to write for teen magazines. Got into Meet the Beatles when I was 14 and 15. And wow. So I really learned that I had a charmed life when I was 17, and Paul McCartney bought me a drink. It's oh. like, wait a minute, you're just a nerdy kid from Kansas City, and you're sitting at this table with this beetle. Well, who would know that decades into the future, we would both be vegans and animal rights activists? Right. Well, life is so fascinating. Um, it's something I don't think we'll ever understand, but the universe works in mysterious ways, and, and we all cross paths. And, you know, you mentioned something just when we started the show about being conscious of what's around and paying attention. And, you know, that's what it's all about, paying attention because there are so many messages that we get. And when we're conscious of it, it can really empower and make our lives perhaps charmed. Can I say that? (laughs) So you have a new book. The Love Power Diet? Yes. 
the Love Powered Diet, Eating for Freedom, Health, and Joy. And sometimes people say, but isn't health contradictory to freedom and joy? No, no. <laughs> great, fabulous food, and um, it's a wonderful way to live. Well, I think it's great that you wrote this book. I have not read it yet, but I will. But Thank I love you. I love the title, and I love what it's about. And it's, I think it's probably in line with everything that Earth Saves about and what this show is about. And the point is that when you discover this diet, everybody that I've had on this show talking about it loves it. We all love food. We all love to eat, and we feel very liberated, and we love our food. But I think um, one of the things that you're you might center on in this book is um, helping people that are overweight yes or people who aren't overweight but who diet all the time or who are overweight part of the time and dieting the rest of the time which was my history I fought with food for 32 years Mm. my dad was a diet doctor my mother was in the fitness industry I was a fat kid I was bad for business I started experimenting with a vegetarian diet in my teens and actually committed to being vegetarian at 18, that didn't help me at all with the weight. I really needed a totally plant-based diet, but I couldn't do it because I was a practicing compulsive overeater. (laughs) I could not stay away from the junk food. I remember at one point I was taking some college classes in my hometown of Kansas City, and this was a period when I was pretty much on the diet side of the diet binge cycle, which was how I lived in those days, and they put a soft-serve machine in the cafeteria. And I sat there having to decide, should I drop out of these classes, lose the tuition, lose the credits, or should I keep taking the classes and go back to binging, which I absolutely will do because there is soft serve available mm-hmm. that's how bad it was mm. it was really a um, a disease it was an addiction a compulsion very much like alcoholism because basically I was trying to fill an inner hole with food and it was only when I dealt with that inner stuff that I was able to be given the gift of choice and then I could choose the plant-based diet which is the other half of the equation which means that I do eat beautiful, wonderful food and enjoy it (laughs) much more than I did in the binge diet days, but I no longer eat any food for a fix, and that's the difference. You don't eat any food for what? For a fix. Mm. I don't use any food as a drug. Right. I don't eat to fill the empty places in my psyche because that's beyond the digestive system. Now, you mentioned your father was a diet doctor and your mom was a fitness trainer? Well, not exactly. These were the days before we really knew about fitness, and they had these things called reducing salons with lots of machines with belts and rollers. Mm. So it was one of those places. I can't imagine that it did much good for anybody, but it certainly didn't do any good for me. Well, do you think um, that that anything related to your problem had to do with some sort of obsession with or a focus on food and dieting? Oh, you know, probably, but... It started so young for me. I really wonder, Karen, and of course I don't know the why, and one of the fabulous things about recovery from any addiction from the inside out is we don't really have to know the why. We just have to know the how, (laughs) how to change things. You know, I really agree with you, and and it's true really of, of anything in life. Yes. You don't like, have to know the why. Just move on, move forward, mm-hmm. and enjoy now and the rest of your life. 
It's true. And the more you move forward, the more you're given a glimpse of the how. <laughs> That's right. So, okay, you've told us that you had a weight problem, and now you've kept it off for a long time. Now Over 25 years. And you look fabulous. Thank uh, you. You know, I've seen you in person, I've seen your pictures, and you are a stunning woman. Thank you. And you can see your beauty on the outside as well as on the inside. Now, there are a lot of other people. We know a lot of um, celebrities that bounce up and down with their weight. It's always the cover of magazines. They go up there and down. They're on all of these different um, diet programs, Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers and whatever. What's the difference? The difference is that if the problem were food, then those programs might work. But the problem is not food. It's sort of like the alcoholic that says, well, I'll switch to beer or I'll make uh, wine spritzers instead of drinking straight wine. That's not the problem. The problem is you're trying to fill an empty hole on the inside and you need to just plain stop drinking. Mm -hmm. And what compulsive overeaters have to do is stop eating for a fix. Now, it's a little more subtle, obviously, because we still have to eat, but it's absolutely essential to look at, at this kind of soul sickness that, that fuels compulsive eating. Now, this is not to say that you can't be overweight in this culture just because the food is so bad. Mm-hmm. I heard some French women interviewed a couple of years ago on TV, and one of them was saying, Oh, we love the Americans, but we just do not understand. How can you be so fat with such terrible food? <laughs> <laughs> and so, it, I mean, we're given very rich, very concentrated food that doesn't have the nutrient density that the cells are looking for. It's also possible to live in a very sedentary fashion. So certainly you can have some weight to lose without being a compulsive overeater. But here's the question to ask yourself if you're not sure whether you are or not. Have I dieted before? Have I dieted one to three times in my past? Have I dieted four to eight times in my past? You know, if you're doing that kind of thing, it's a serious problem. Oh, come on, but you know that that's like most of the population. It's not the way people are designed to live. I mean, obviously, it's <laughs> But not. most people have dieted or dieting all the time. They say, Monday, I'll diet. <laughs> it's a weekly thing. Well, the wonderful thing about the recovery program that I propose in the Love Powered Diet, and this is based on a, a 12-step model, and I do recommend Overeaters Anonymous. They're at mm. overeatersanonymous.org for anybody that's interested. It doesn't cost anything. It's an all-volunteer thing, people helping people, but it really is a lifesaver if food is a, a big problem. And they don't have diets. So if you're a vegetarian or a vegan or kosher or whatever you are, that's all fine. They don't worry about what you're eating. You're given the respect to deal with that on your own. They're there for the spiritual program and the the peer support. But people who diet all the time are not living all the time. Mm -hmm. If I live to be 90 years old, I will really have to subtract eight or nine years from that for all the time I wasted on dieting, hating my body, Hmm. undieting, binging, being obsessed. It was really like years that I didn't live. Hmm. But the lovely thing when you get it back is you get it all back. There's this great line, I think it's in the book of Joel, 
where it says, I will give you the years the locust has eaten. And that's really what I feel about with the food. I feel I have been given the most remarkable life that all that stuff, all that time and all that pain, and it is pain. I have to tell you, Karen, when I think about the suffering of animals, and this touches me deeply, the way that I am able to empathize with that suffering is to draw on some of the deepest suffering that I've had in my own life. And we've all had life experiences. You know, yes. we could all stand up and say, I suffered this way and my suffering is worse <laughs> than yours. But, I mean, I, I lost my first husband very suddenly, very young. Mm. A year and a half ago, my, my 16-year-old stepson um, passed away from, from a freak illness. I mean, there have been oh, things my. in my life. I didn't know that. The kind of suffering that I... I'm reminded of when I know what goes on with animals is the kind of suffering that I spent years in, in in this trap of the overeating. I couldn't get out. I hated myself. I couldn't help myself. And right now, today, I know that this show is archived and some people will be listening to it far into the future. Yes. But as, as we're speaking today, there's a big controversy going on because PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, an organization that I have long supported and admired, came out with a, a billboard comparing obese people to whales, mm. saying, um, lose the blubber, go vegetarian. I am just horrified, dismayed, and outraged because not only four-footed animals can suffer, two-legged animals can suffer too, and something like that is just so unkind. Nobody is obese because they want to be. This is a disease. I'm not going to comment on that, but I do want to say that EarthSave is all about empowering people and not pointing out or making judgment about what people are doing wrong. We want to empower people, educate people, and help them move to a better place. Bravo. And so that said, you know, I know many, many people who have been overweight in their lives, and if I can help them get to a better place, that's all I want. I know that they're all beautiful people inside that have just, you know, we all have different life experiences, like you've said, and We wear our baggage differently. Some of it's weight. Some of us have other issues. Mm -hmm. And to compare to the whale, I mean, that's a whole other problem. And the whale is a beautiful, intelligent animal that's also suffering at this time with all of the whale hunts. So um, Yeah, the whole thing was ill thought out. I think of one of my first mentors in this lifestyle who was Jay Dinshaw, the co-founder of the American Vegan Society back in 1960. I can't imagine anybody founding a vegan society in 1960. (laughs) But he said the whole point, Vickery, he called me when I was 22, the whole point, Vickery, is to do the most good and the least harm every single day. Then you deserve the air you breathe and the space you take. And I look at that in terms of animals, humans, the earth, and it certainly doesn't mean that I'm any kind of Mahatma Gandhi person, you know, out doing every perfect thing every minute, but it's in the back of my head, you know, what can I do today to just make things a little bit better? Okay, let's talk about the empty hole. Yeah. Do you, what is it? What causes it? How do you fill it? And what do you fill it with? Well, I believe that we all have one and that it comes with us as human beings and it's there for a reason. The reason is so that we will search for meaning. But 
because we don't know that, we oftentimes try to fill it with something else. Hmm. So some people choose um, money, either the pursuit of money or spending so much of it that they're always in debt. Some people choose sex and inappropriate relationships. For some people, it's drugs or gambling or alcohol. It makes a lot of sense to try to fill it with food because the empty hole does seem to be right about the solar plexus, just where the stomach is. Mm. So it's certainly logical that if you put enough ice cream and cookies and potato chips in there, it ought to help, but it doesn't. Just like all those other things, it tends to just make the hole bigger. So what we want to fill it with is purpose, love for self and others, and a life that has meaning. So many people are just groundlessly going around doing things that everybody else does. One of the suggestions from an earlier book is to uh, upgrade your life, install uh, necessary upgrades. And I talk about little things like toothpaste. And I say, how many of you in this audience, maybe an audience of a thousand, are still using the same mint toothpaste <laughs> your mother gave you? <laughs> Two-thirds of the audience, yep. unless I'm speaking for a very unusual group, raises their hands. I say, what if you went to a big natural food store, went down that toothpaste aisle, and you started to discover Pilu toothpaste from India, homeopathic toothpaste from Germany, cherry toothpaste from Maine. I mean, wouldn't your life just change? And it really does because it's just kind of shifting you, you sure. know. Every morning uh, would be different. Exactly, and you're shifted outside the status quo. I just want to so, say I don't use toothpaste, but that's... Uh, ah, so <laughs> do you use just water or baking? I just use water and on occasion, but not very often, a little baking soda. And uh, if I feel like I'm having a problem, a soreness or whatever, I rinse with hydrogen peroxide and water. Oh, interesting. Well, I am right now loving a tooth powder called EcoDent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cinnamon flavored. And I think that's the thing. You know, you want to give yourself a delicious life. <laughs> you want to give yourself little treats. Like, Absolutely. oh, today I feel like cinnamon, tomorrow I feel like anise. Mm-hmm. It, it's just the idea of living well. So I, I digressed here a bit, but so many people are just eating what they think they're supposed to eat based on what the advertisers tell them or what's available as you drive down the highway and not coming out of the little mental box to see, oh, my goodness, there is a bigger world out there. And once you open a door, a door to something like Karen Hartglass's Earth Save radio show <laughs> or a, a vegetarian cookbook mm-hmm. or uh, a lecture by someone who really sets you on fire, nothing's ever the same again. Well, I think there's something really profound here. You're talking about an empty hole inside, and I agree with you. Most people have one. And I, I don't think it's by accident that most people are eating food with what we call empty calories mm-hmm. that are calories but ha- don't have the nutrients that we need. Yeah. And so everything's empty, empty, empty. And and then we have all of these um, fun, fundamentalist religious movements that are supposed to provide meaning in our lives, and and they're not. They don't really. They're not really doing the job. Mm-hmm. It's it's very interesting about the growth of fundamentalism in this country, and I feel that I can speak to this because my academic background is comparative religions. 
I'm crazy about religions and spirituality. I find that the way that people find meaning is just so fascinating. I can study it endlessly, and a lot of my speaking is at, at mm. churches. And mm-hmm. I think that the reason that that fundamentalism, which obviously has some problems when it comes packaged with bigotry toward certain groups with an almost dislike or distrust for the earth instead of of embracing the earth as, as God's creation, I think that they're so popular because they're exciting. They have really good music. <laughs> there's, there's the idea of you go there and people believe in something and there's energy and there's something going on. It's not just... Let's open our hymnals to page 118 oh, and sure. sing the song that we sang the last three weeks. People, people need like passion more now. and and community. And if somebody's really passionate about something, whether you agree with it or not, it in- certainly is interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's important for those of us in the environmental movement, for those of us in the animal protection world, to reach out and find points of connection in places where we think there are none. I remember years ago, after my first husband died, I was just a little bit um, (laughs) unknowing what to do. So I moved to the country, which was really kind of dumb. I have no skills for living in the country. (laughs) But my daughter and I were living in a little cabin at the Lake of the Ozarks in southern Missouri. There was one little health food store in the town. And I remember the woman there was just absolutely lovely. She had all kinds of rescued animals of every sort. And when I went in, I saw she had lots of vegetarian items, and I was so grateful to find that down there. And I said, are are you vegetarian? And she said, why, yes, I am. Mm. I did ask my pastor if it was okay, and he said that as long as I didn't put animals before Jesus, it was just fine. (laughs) And I remember thinking, oh, I'm glad I didn't have to ask anybody. But you know what? She asked somebody, and I think he gave her a fine answer. So it's you never know where you're going to find somebody who can meet you on a lot of these issues. If we don't meet on everything, okay, we agree to disagree. Yeah, you brought up some, you brought up a very good point. Uh, you know, it's all about finding what we have in common because there really is we all really share so much, and that's not just humans, but animals as well. We're we're all part of the same planet. We share the same air, the same water. We really have a lot more in common than we know or that we want to know yeah and some of it's so basic one of the first quotations that really really drew me to veganism was from Mahavira the saint in the Jain religion in India and he said to every creature his own life is very dear Hmm. well you can't really argue with that and I guess it was season two of um, 30 days that wonderful Morgan Spurlock program on on FX. Ah. For people who aren't familiar with 30 Days, Morgan Spurlock, um, in fact, is is the man who made the film um, Supersize Me, but he did have a a cable show for three years where he would send someone who had a completely different view of things to live with his opposite. So in this particular (laughs) show, this was a guy who patrolled the border, the Mexican-Texas border, and just as a volunteer, because he didn't want any immigrants coming over, and he went to live with an undocumented Mexican immigrant family in L.A. 
And part of the deal is the visitor has to work with the host. So they went out to do day labor, wow. just clearing an, an empty lot, and the uh, the visitor pulls up this rock, and this this creature is under there. And I just love all animals, but I must say, even to me, <laughs> this particular one just was not pretty. It looked like a kind of oversized slug. It was it was just not an attractive being to human vision. And the the guy wanted to just kill it with the rock. And this beautiful Mexican man who had been through hell in his life, he said, just let him alone. He only wants to enjoy his life. Mm-hmm. And that's just how I see it. Mm-hmm. Can we just let one another, whatever another's <laughs> they happen to be, enjoy their lives and have a planet to do it on. Yeah, that's so hard for so many people. We all want to control everyone else, and we want everyone to think like we do. And it's tough when you think that you, (laughs) (laughs) you know, really have it going on. But one of the great spiritual exercises, certainly, is to listen to other people. One of the things that's been a real education for me recently is is that I blog for beliefnet.com. If anybody wants to go mm. to beliefnet.com and just click on blogs, mine is called Charmed Life. And people online, you know, they'll tell you just what they think and sometimes in very insulting terms Absolutely. because they're completely anonymous. But some people are are very kind even if they're completely different from me. I had a post the other day about foie gras, and I would think most people listening to your program would know that that is supposedly the most cruelly produced meat in the world. Even the uh, Pope has spoken out against it. And in response to this um, this post, I heard from a foie gras farmer, who of course was defending his position, and then he said, now... I don't eat it because I'm a vegetarian. Oh, goodness. But it's still no more cruel than any other kind of meat. Well, I disagree with him, and so did most of the other people leaving comments. But he was so respectful in the way that he commented, this is somebody that I could have a dialogue with, and I just appreciate that so much. Well, the thing is you're never going to get anywhere if you don't respect the person you're Mm -hmm. speaking with which a lot of activists don't seem to understand. They're angry, they're mad, and they're in your face, mm-hmm. and it just makes people want to turn away. I want to get back to people with weight problems. Yeah. So what does someone do? What, what would, what's like the first thing that they would do if they want to get onto a healthy diet and stop um, having a weight problem sure well you know we're talking to two kinds of people we're talking to people who may just have a weight problem and people who have the empty hole problem so i'm going to try to cover both if it fits great if it doesn't leave it for somebody else if this is an ongoing problem if this is something that you've battled for a while you're really going to need some more help that you're not going to get from a diet even a great diet so So get help. I mentioned Overeaters Anonymous. You can go to their website, read what they have to offer, see if that suits you. If you've got any friends who are in AA or one of the other anonymous programs, it doesn't have to be Overeaters. It could be anything. Just talk to them about their program. Talk to them about how they live their lives and see if what they tell you sounds like something that you might enjoy. It's basically a process 
of surrendering what you can't handle. And if you've dieted many, many times, oh, come on, you can't handle food. If you could, <laughs> you would have done it long before this. It's a, the point of giving your will and your life over to the care of a higher power, however you conceive of that. It can be the traditional God. It could be love. It could be nature. Whatever works for you, just the idea of I have stretched my willpower like a rubber band until it broke. It's not going to work for me. I have to find some kind of power that does work. Then there's a process, and I'm taking you now briefly through the 12 steps of cleaning up your life. This is just forgiving yourself, forgiving others, making amends, just so that you have a clean slate. Because a lot of this kind of guilt and anxiety and resentments, they eat us, and then they lead us to eat. Then you want to learn how to pray or meditate to really have a way to connect, a way to get quiet and still. Because one of the problems with people who overeat is that we're just not able to sit through the feelings, to sit through the cravings. Mm. I used to have some really boring jobs. Before I was fortunate enough to become a full-time writer, speaker, and life coach, I had some boring jobs. Mm -hmm. And I can remember thinking that from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m., I just couldn't stand it. And that was when I did a whole lot of my eating. Oh, you want well, to go to the candy machine, yeah. you want to snack, just, yeah. Yeah, that's the joy of the corporate world. <laughs> but what, what I learned, largely through prayer and meditation, was how to sit. Because, you know, sometimes meditation is boring, but you mm -hmm. just sit and you live. And then if one of those cravings comes up, you sit with it. Nobody has ever died of a craving. A craving <laughs> is like somebody knocking on your door wanting you to change religions. If you never answer, they're going to go next door. But if you try to be nice and invite them in and give them some tea, they're going to be back every day. <laughs> the craving is the same way. You don't want to entertain it. You just want to be and let it leave you. And then you want to live this wonderful, enlightened way of life in every aspect of your life. So this is what you'll learn if you go to Overeaters Anonymous. Now I'm just going to go to food, and this applies for both compulsive eaters and just people who eat too much or eat food that's too rich. If you are binging, if you are seriously out of control with the food right now listening to this program, eat out until it's under, under wraps. Now people say, oh, I can't do that. How can I lose weight eating out? Because you eat out and they give you these big portions and the food is rich. Yeah, but there won't be mashed potatoes singing to you from the refrigerator in the night. Mm. So eat out three meals a day. The one caveat I will say there is don't go to fast food. It doesn't have to be an expensive place. It can be a diner. It can be a truck stop. I don't care what it is. But ideally, they'll give you dishes that would break if you dropped them. Somebody will bring your food to the table. Stay away from buffets. You're not ready for buffets just yet. <laughs> Order whatever you want and eat what they bring you, and when it's done, it's done. No doggy bags unless you have a dog. The next, and then, then That's you, really good. Well, you get out of the binging habit, mm -hmm. and people say, but I won't lose any weight. Well, maybe you won't, but this is about your life. This is not about losing 22 pounds before my sister's wedding. This <laughs> is about a day at a time for the rest of your life. So you want to eat substantial enough meals that they carry you over, like so many people in the vegan movement, it's a low-fat, plant-based diet. And for your health, for your heart, I wholeheartedly agree with that. A low-fat diet doesn't carry you so well from meal to meal. So in the beginning, 
have enough fat, have enough sustenance that it can get you from meal to meal. Now I'm going to make another radical suggestion, and that is that you eat three meals a day. Now I know that if you read women's magazines all over the place, graze, 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 eat many small meals throughout the day to keep your blood (laughs) sugar level. On paper, that sounds just fine. And if you're diabetic or if you have another kind of health problem where medically you have to eat that way, then you just have to figure out how to do that. But for everybody else on the planet, if you have a serious long-standing food problem, you need to eat three meals a day for the following reasons. One is you need to learn how to live. And if you're always putting food into yourself, you're never going to. Number two, for compulsive eaters, the problem is not starting. The problem is stopping. If you only start three times a day, you only have to stop three times a day. (laughs) Number three, The compulsive overeaters find that food is an appetite trigger. For a normal eater, food is an appetite suppressant. You eat, you don't want to eat anymore. For a compulsive overeater, it's almost like it's just stoking the flames. And, And at least until you get the spiritual stuff going on and you really get recovery active in your life, you eat something and you want to eat more. So three meals a day. And finally, number four, final reason, is that society is set up for three meals a day. You go on vacation and stay at a bed and breakfast. You get a job. By law, the boss has to give you a lunch hour. You're interested in a guy or a girl, and you're hoping that you guys can get together and go out for dinner. Dinner. That's just the way it works. And if you can be in the flow of that, you're going to be much better off. I like that. I like that very much. Well, I think um, people need to read your book, obviously, because it's all there. It is all there, along with a lot of information about a plant-based diet, how to get started, how to shop, wonderful recipe websites, product websites, everything you need to know to eat green, save the planet, save your body. In fact, I'm thinking about writing a book about a, a vegan diet that's high in raw food, which is something that I've been doing more recently and absolutely loving, and I want to call it the look great, stay thin, never age, and save the planet diet. Okay. <laughs> I can do that. Do you have a website? I do. Excuse me. It's just my name, Victoria Moran, M-O-R-A-N, dot com. We'd be happy to hear from your listeners. Okay. So this is where they can find out about this book and all the other wonderful That's books right. that you've written. That's great. Now, I heard that you helped Michael Moore lose some weight. Is that uh-huh, true? Yes. Bless his heart. Such such a sweet man. I have an earlier book called Fit from Within, and people were calling me and saying, do you know you're in, in Oprah's magazine? I said, no. So I went to the newsstand and bought a copy. It happened that Michael Moore was the um, celebrity book reviewer that month, hmm. and he was supposed to write about the ten books that had changed his life. Well, the first nine were Michael Moore-type books. They were political um bury my heart at wounded knee when Johnny got his gun and there was fit from within I just about made it and he explained that in the 1980s when he was out of work and didn't have any money he got into eating a really poor diet a lot of fast food and that was when he gained the weight and even though obviously he's had great success since then he had not been able to lose it and his sister gave him fit from within after he had sworn off diet books. It's just like, no, I'm never going to read another one of those. 
And he said that he kept it by his bed. And I met him about a year and a half ago at a, a screening. Mm. And as a fan, you know, very nervously went up to him and said, I wrote this book, Fit From Within. I think you liked it. And he said, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm meeting you. <laughs> I keep your book by my bed. Oh, my well, by then I was so nervous. It was like, wait a minute, this is surreal. I'm supposed to be saying I can't believe I'm meeting you. And then he was so cute. He grabbed hold of his jacket lapels and opened the jacket and said, See how well I'm doing. <laughs> and at that time, he'd lost over 60 pounds. Wow. I think he's up around 100 now, which is really, really great. Well, it, and that was the one thing a lot of us were saying about Michael Moore is that that was he would just be so much better if he was more fit. You know, like you say, we all have a cross to bear. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, for for some of us, like you say, it, it's weight. I mean, Oprah, bless her heart, does. So much good in this world, yep. and and her up and down on the scale has been, you know, broadcast there to so many people, and we're just all working at it. And you know what happens with some people? You you get one thing taken care of, one of these compulsions or addictions, and then you find, oops, I've got another one. <laughs> so you got to work on money or something else. But you know, I don't think we'd be here if we didn't have something to work on. That's why we're here. <laughs> so, have you talked to Oprah about her weight problems? No, but we did get some interest just before they went on hiatus this summer in the possibility of of doing a show. The show that I proposed to them was called Secrets of the Longtime Losers. So, I have kept off over 60 pounds for going on 26 years and I was proposing that they would also invite on Dr. Norris Chumley, who lost 170 pounds and has kept it off 17 years. He has a book also from Lantern Books, lovely environmental uh, vegetarian press in, in New York here. Um, they published The Love Power Diet, and his book is called The Joy of Weight Loss. Hmm. And another person that I suggested was Dr. Judy Hollis, who's kept off 100 pounds for 30 years. And she had a couple of bestsellers in the 80s, Fat and Furious, and Fat is a Family Affair. And it just makes sense to me that if you want to know something, if you want to know how to do well in the stock market, if you want to know how to raise good kids, you go to people who've done well in the stock market and people who've raised good kids. You don't go looking to people who just, oh, you know, last week uh, I invested in something. Now I'm going to go talk about it. So with with the power of longevity, I just think that could be a very, very powerful show. So if it hasn't happened yet, maybe y'all could suggest to Oprah's website. Get Victoria Moran and those people on the secrets of the longtime losers. Right. I like it. You know, you you just brought up something um, where so many of us go to doctors for information about our health and about nutrition, and the doctor doesn't look healthy. You know, you want to go to someone that's walking the walk. Exactly. And, uh, you know, there's even some concern about uh, the latest recommendation for Surgeon General. I read an article by Dr. John McDougall about how... Uh, the name escapes me who's recently been recommended, but that she wasn't the most healthy looking. Well, we don't tend to really have a good definition in this culture right now for the word health. 
I think all of the debate that's going on is we're speaking about the health care reform. It's really not about health. It's about medical care. It's about right. what you do when you're when you don't have health. Well, some people even say disease care. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And it's a very, very complex issue, but I think for those of us who want to step outside of that box and really take responsibility for our own health, everything changes. It, you're no longer in this dependent state. You're, the medical system is there when you need it, and obviously if you're hit by a bus, you need it. <laughs> but in in terms of so much that we think of of degenerative disease, we can really do so much with diet, exercise, proper rest, stress management, which includes meditation that we talked about. You get those four things going on, and you're just not going to be one of these statistics. I went to the hospital when a friend was having shoulder surgery. She'd fallen in the subway and needed to have something done to her shoulder. Mm. The woman was 47 years old. The anesthesiologist came in, and he just went through her list of medications to make sure he had them all right. I think you could have just lifted my jaw up off the floor because that list of medications was as long as some of the ones I've heard about people in nursing homes in their 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. We're a highly medicated culture. And what what were they all going to do? Well, it's very interesting because, you know, one leads to another, and I don't remember all of hers. I do know she had diabetic medication. She had blood mm. pressure medication. Now, I've just named two conditions, type 2 diabetes and hypertension, that all of our medical colleagues in the plant-based diet movement will tell you are not just manageable but reversible, reversible with and a plant-based diet. Absolutely. She also had uh, an antidepressant, mm. which, again, um, you can get pretty depressed when you're not eating well simply because the brain has to process the the toxins and and the chemicals and one thing that I have learned just since being on more of a raw food diet where everything is just so alive and colorful and wonderful I tell people my my default quotient has gone up from just sort of neutral to happy Mm -hmm. and obviously if something sad happens I'll feel sad and if something great happens I'll feel ecstatic but when I get back to center center is higher than it used to be Mm. it's at happy Mm -hmm. and I really believe that with all these wonderful vitamins and phytochemicals and enzymes flowing through my bloodstream it really changes the attitude and the outlook now, you raised a daughter. Yes, I did. And Beautiful you Adair. raised her vegan. Yes. Were there any challenges with that? Yes. I was not vegan when I was pregnant. I had been vegan prior to that, and I was scared to death by <laughs> my doctors, and I did consume dairy products during my pregnancy, and I just learned a week ago, listening to the 1999 health stats that Dr. Michael Greger Mm -hmm. uh, puts together every year. Did I say 1999? 2009. (laughs) uh, Health health reports that one of the studies implied that if the mother uses dairy products during pregnancy, the child can have chronic sinusitis. Yeah. And my daughter did have that, Mm. even though I stopped the dairy the day she was born, and she never had dairy in her life. Mm. She did have chronic 
sinus difficulties that went on until her early 20s. She's perfectly fine now. She did outgrow them, as they say. But that was pretty tough, and I learned some things there. One was that the medical profession is much kinder to a vegan diet for children, and I would say for adults, than are a lot of the holistic health people because the medical profession didn't have a lot to offer us in terms of my daughter's frequent colds and ear infections and that kind of thing other than antibiotics. So we sought different kinds of care with naturopathy, chiropractic, traditional Chinese medicine. And some of those people were really, really avidly in opposition to a vegan diet. Oh, I know. Where the pediatricians were just like, oh, that's great. She's never going to have a heart attack. So that was the challenge. That was the one challenge that we did have during childhood. Everything else was absolutely great. And to raise a vegan child with that kind of reverence for life, with that kind of care and concern for this world, she's 26 years old now, and I probably admire her more than anybody else I know. She's an actress here in New York City, married to an actor in New York City, and they're so solid. They're um, they're buying their little apartment on the Upper West Side. Wish I'd done that when I was in my twenties. Right. And they well, they had until recently two dogs. Our fifteen-year-old dog Aspen passed away recently, so they have their their young dog, and they're going to get another dog when they get back from vacation this fall. The dogs are actually vegetarian. My daughter <laughs> cooks <laughs> cooks for the dogs. Uh, she is a lifelong vegan, and her husband is vegetarian, vegan at home. And it's just lovely to see how she cares, how she's a lifelong learner, interested in all sorts of things. And the commitment and the stability that giving a child purpose it's it's just stunning to me. Every time I see her, I'm more impressed. Hmm. Well, I I love all of the vegan children that I've ever met, and they it's all everything that you describe. But I think it's it has something to do certainly with your upbringing, but it's more than just food. It's it's this mindfulness, this exactly. awareness of everything that's around us. And that's why I call this show it's all about food because when you realize how food is connected to everything mm-hmm. or at least the way we manage what food is available today, it's connected to everything. Mm-hmm. Um when a child realizes that what's been chosen for them to eat has so much meaning behind it. it. I think it just makes them a better person. Yes. And I think the idea of growing up with an expanded reverence for life, it's very healthy psychologically because children are born with that reverence. Right. They just come in with it and they have to unlearn it. So I remember when I was a kid, and I I had this very utilitarian sense of things, and I was thinking, okay, chickens are for eggs, and cows are for milk. What Mm -hmm. are pigs for? (laughs) And when they told me, I was outraged. Of course, now I know that the eggs and the milk are just as bad, but the idea that we would kill someone and eat his or her body what was just an outrage, but there was nothing that I could do about it because that's what my parents 
told me people had to eat. So to just overcome the trauma of learning what meat is is very hard on a kid. And and every day to have to make that really very sophisticated philosophical choice that I'm supposed to love my dog and my canary and eat the cow and the chicken, I mean, that's hard for a trained philosopher to bring to (laughs) grips, much less a little kid. I was reading an article recently about some studies that they're doing with dogs since they have such an intense sense of smell that they're able to smell cancer in individuals. And so they're trying to find a way to use them to diagnose particular cancers like ovarian, which is frequently overlooked. And, okay, that's dogs. And I'm just wondering, what what special skill does every species have that if we only tuned in, we could learn from mm-hmm. and use? You know, we know that the the dolphins and the whales have, you know, this great sonic sensibility that uh, we actually torture them with when we put all kinds of crazy sounds in the water. But there's just so much out there, so much skill and intelligence that we're not taking advantage of. Mm-hmm. So the, the, what I like to do towards the end of the show is talk about your favorite things to eat. <laughs> oh, gosh. Now, do you want just general foods or do you want specific kind of recipes? Um, yeah, we could talk. Well, whatever makes you happy. But okay. I, li- I, I do like to share um, some suggestions so people might try them. Okay. Well, because I'm eating largely raw right now, those are all the things that are my favorite at the moment. My favorite cookbook or cookless book, I guess mm-hmm. you call it, is uh, Jennifer Cornbleet's Raw Food Made Easy for One or Two People. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I use that quite a bit. Some of the foods that I've been enjoying a lot this summer uh, are a cream of tomato soup, which is a room temperature soup that you just whiz up um, with tomatoes. I use, let's see if I can remember it, four tomatoes, half of a red pepper, two or three stalks of celery, and then you season it with lemon juice, lemon pepper, and Italian herbs, mm. and a little, little Celtic sea salt. And then that's a lovely light soup, just the way it is, mm-hmm. but if you are having a little more fat in your diet and you want something creamy and more substantial, you can just whiz in a half of an avocado if um, it's an appetizer serving two or a whole avocado if it's going to be a meal for a couple of people with some crackers and a little salad. And, oh, my gosh, that is a really good thing. So cream of tomato soup is getting a lot of play in my kitchen (laughs) at this this point. But the tomatoes have to be good. They have to be fresh. They have to be flavorful, organic, preferably. I mean, there are some tomatoes that have no taste. You know, there really are. And, actually, that's one of the great things about the soup, that because of the lemon juice and all the herbs, Mm. if you've got some fabulous heirloom tomatoes that were four ninety nine a pound, you might want to just slice those up and eat them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and your other ones that maybe aren't so great, you can put in the blender soup. So mm. something to, to do with them. Um, let's see. Oh, I'll tell you another thing. And this does come from uh, Jennifer Cornbleet's book. That first recipe came from a, an, another book. It's called, um, uh, the author is Marin, M-A-E-R-I-N. I believe it's Jennifer Marin. If I had known you were going to ask this, I would have had the, <laughs> cooks on, the books on my desk. Uh, but this is from Jennifer Cornbleet's Raw Food Made Easy for One or Two People. Walnut brownies. Mm. The only ingredients are walnuts, 
dates, vanilla, cocoa, or you could use carob, and a tiny bit of water. Mm-hmm. You you process this in a, a food processor. You press it into a container. If you're just making a small amount, you can just use a little sandwich container or whatever you've got. And you slice these and you serve them to regular people who are used <laughs> to regular brownies and they just love you forever. And the great thing that I'm really loving about raw desserts, I also do a wonderful blueberry pie, is that they're all food. That even even the sweetener, which in this case is the dates, is a whole food. So even though there are certainly some concentrated sweeteners that are, are vegan and, and probably better than refined sugar, I mean, I'm thinking agave nectar, which is low on glycemic mm-hmm. index, pure maple syrup, but if you're using dates, you're not just getting something that isn't harmful, you're getting something that actually gives you nutrients, antioxidants, fiber, and you get right. to call it dessert. You know, I... I get so excited about food, and I hear it in your voice, too, and you just want people to know about it and try it. And There are so many raw foods, especially I, I did all raw food diets different periods of my life, and um, the, the, the nuts and the, the raw nuts and the dried fruit, they're just incredible, and fresh fruit, too, and there's just so many things that you can do with them. It's so exciting. You don't need to get food in a box that has all kinds of artificial flavors and colors and who knows what kind of pesticides and garbage and preservatives. It, just just try it. It is so true. And one A mango. Thing- when you have a fresh, raw, sweet mango, there's nothing better. It's candy. Oh, it is. It's heavenly. One thing, too, that I've discovered since being a vegan, so we're talking many years, but everywhere that I've lived since being a vegan, the farmer's market is just such a joy. Here in New York City, I go to the one in Union Square, which is just, it's all this produce and all this concrete you know, right <laughs> next to each other. It's a wonderful juxtaposition of nature and, and, and humankind. And to talk to the farmers and find the ones that are, are organic. And, you know, even the farmers that aren't certified organic, they do so much better than the food that's shipped in from heaven knows where and is old. And then you've got all the fossil fuels going into the shipping. So obviously, locally grown organic is the gold standard. But if I can get locally grown from a real farmer... You know, I'll take it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll take it. You want to stay away from agribusiness that's been yeah. shipped all over the place. Mm. Mm. And I think they should be showing that movie Food, Inc. in every classroom in this country. Yeah, there's a number of different documentaries that are really phenomenal that should get more play. And I understand The Cove is quite a good film, although I haven't seen that Oh, I yet know. Either. I'm afraid to see it. <laughs> you know, it is funny. As much as I know we have to be informed and we have to know what's going on out there, I feel like I did so much of that early on. I mean, I went through a slaughterhouse, and that way it's oh not my. just seeing it, it's smelling it, it's yes. hearing it. I'll never be the same again. And I almost feel like I paid my dues. Maybe I don't have to see everything now. I don't think sure. you do. I don't think you need to see it. Thank you. <laughs> but I've heard it's an excellent film. Well, if anybody asks, I'll say, Karen gives me a pass. <laughs> you go see it. <laughs> well, you know, there's a point. I, I don't know how much you know, think about the law of attraction, and it certainly got some kind of crazy overplay. 
Um, but by always focusing on what we don't want, that might continue what we don't want. And we want to really visualize the things that we're, that we want in this world. So Absolutely. you don't, you don't you. need to look at factory farming and you don't need to see the violence that's done to animals. You're doing a great job envisioning for yourself and for other people the life that they deserve and the life that we all should have, a charmed life, a joyous life. Well, I totally agree with you, and this is one thing I love about the farm animal sanctuaries. I mean, we're lucky here in New York that we have three of them that I know of, but they're all over the country. And if you just take a weekend afternoon, find one of these places, take your kids, this is really a way to be able to hold a vision in your psyche of animals being happy. Right. Okay, well, that's our end of the show music. And it's been great talking with you, Victoria. This is Victoria Moran. Her website is victoriamoran.com. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thanks, Karen. All the best. Yeah, and I'm Karen Hartglass, and this has been It's All About Food. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>